This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works or others in the publishing industry about their job, what it entails, and the books they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Thoughts from a Page. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring the next six months of my podcast. If you need a real estate agent in Houston or in the surrounding areas, check out her link on my website. I have personally worked with Maggie for a house sale, and I highly recommend her. I just posted my first Patreon bonus episode today. You can check out the benefits I am offering for page turners through the link in the show notes. I hope you'll join us. Today, Elizabeth Barnhill and I chat about our favorite books of the first half of 2021. Elizabeth is the book buyer for the independent bookstore in Waco, Texas, Fabled Bookshop and Cafe. You can find her on Bookstagram at Waco Reads. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm great. It's good to talk to you again, Cindy. It's good to talk to you again, too. These are some of my favorite episodes. So I'm very happy that you're here again so we can chat books. I always love talking books with you. So today we decided we're going to cover our favorite reads of the first half of 2021. And I think you have 13 and I have 12. So in a minute, I'll let you start. But before we start, do you want to just talk generally about your list? Well, I always like to make lists. I'm a list maker, and uh, usually I like to make my, my favorites lists of the entire year. I am always thinking the entire year which books are going to land on my top 10, which is usually winds up being my top 20 favorite books of the year. So it's kind of fun at the end of June to really take a breath, take stock in what what I have read in the past six months, and uh, you asked me to come up with 12, so naturally I can't live without 13 of them. Well, I know. At first we talked about 10, and then we both were like, yeah, I can't limit it to 10. So I knew we would go over a little bit, and you know, 12, 13, it doesn't really make any difference. We make our own rules. Did you notice anything specific about your reading? Did anything change this time around, or was it in line with how you normally read? I think so. I think it's fairly typical. I always have some mysteries, maybe a thriller, a little bit of nonfiction, some literary fiction. So uh, this is fairly accurate of my taste in books. Mine's that way too, as I look over it, because I usually read a lot of historical fiction, and there's a good amount on this list. But I have been reading more nonfiction since the pandemic started, and my list is definitely more nonfiction heavy than it normally is. Yes, I'm, I always love nonfiction. It's the great palate cleanse in between fiction books. And I, I like reading nonfiction just uh, because it keeps my attention sometimes more than fiction does, which is helpful in this time of distraction. Well, I know I've mentioned this several times, but I've just found it a lot easier to read during the pandemic. And of course, we're on the back end and things are opening up. And so that's not as relevant. But I think it just impacted my reading generally because I just picked up more nonfiction than I normally do. Well, and I have not read as much during the pandemic. I think it's because I have children coming out of my ears and they just love to hang out. And right now in this season of my life, if my teenagers want to hang out with me, that's what I'm going to do. But I, I try to sneak in some reading in the morning when they're it's fairly uh, common for them to still be asleep. Well, that's what's happening in my household too, is they want to watch all these TV shows together, which I'm not going to pass up on because as you said, if teenagers want to watch TV with you or hang out with you, then you can't say no. But so I feel like TV is taking up more of my time than it ever has before. And so the reading is suffering a little bit, but I'm enjoying the time with my kids. That's right. Well, why don't we start with your first pick and we'll just go back and forth since you have 13 and I have 12. And I am so curious to see if we overlap at all. 
Well, this is how I, I, I did not want to rank these from 13 all the way down to one, because I really want to think hard about which ones are my favorites. So I decided to do it um, in chronological order. So what, what I find fascinating is what we find in the, the industry is we always have a ton of books that come out the first Tuesday of every month. So every week I write an email to all of our booksellers. And I always know the first week of every month, I have to take a lot of time to t- discuss all the books that are coming out. So um, interestingly, the first four on my list came out on the same day in February. So the first one I'd like to talk about is This Close to Okay by Lisa Cross Smith. This came out in early February. I was deeply moved by this book. I did not expect to love it as much as I did. And I wound up reading it in one day and had tears in my eyes at the end of the story. It was so unique, very character driven. Uh, it deals with a man and a woman who meet in a very, a very strange way. And um, this book deals quite a bit with suicide. So just, just beware. But they, they meet in a very unlikely situation and spend the weekend together. And I love how Lisa Cross-Smith writes. She describes the home of one of the characters, and it's so cozy. And she just loves to write about a cozy home. She also loves to write her characters as being kind. And I absolutely loved this book. My book club chose it. Um, about a month ago, and we all dearly loved it. So that is This Close to Okay by Lisa Cross Smith. I'm not even sure I know that one. I think if I saw the cover, I'd probably recognize it. I'm such a visual person, but I definitely haven't read it. She is a wonderful author. She's written some short stories. She's from Kentucky, and I will read everything she writes. I really, really love her writing style. And that's so funny that four of your books came out on the same day. I know. It was a big day in my in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm going to follow your lead and do the same thing and do mine in order of publication. I think that's a great way to do it because I definitely am not where I can rank them at this point either. So my first one is Better Luck Next Time by Julia Claiborne Johnson. And I absolutely love this one. It's historical fiction set in outside of Reno, Nevada in the 1930s. And it is told from the perspective of a man named Ward. And when it opens, he is telling it in his present day. I think it's maybe the 90s, the 2000s, I can't remember. He's the narrator, so he's speaking the entire time to the reader. And I just absolutely love that format for this book. I thought it worked very well. He's so funny. And it just opens up a totally different way of telling the story when the writer is speaking to you, the reader. So I really enjoyed that. But it takes place at a divorce ranch outside of Reno. And every six weeks, a new group of women will come in and they have to spend six weeks in Nevada before they will have residency and can get a divorce. So the way this ranch does it, it does in kind of groups of women. They come six weeks at a time, almost like, you know, summer camp, but instead it's divorce camp. And (laughs) so he tells the story of one particular six weeks and the two women, Nina and Emily, that sort of changed his life and the trajectory of his life. And I just thought it was so well done. I love the way she writes. I loved the setting. I really loved Ward. He just is one of my favorite characters now in terms of, you know, a fictional character that I would love to meet someday. But I just thought it was such a great read. I think I sat down to flip through it and I did not get up until I finished it. So it was really good. And that's Better Luck Next Time by Julia Claiborne Johnson. I really loved that book too. I I loved the setting and I love the author. She's, I, we're Instagram friends. And I know that she actually based Ward on her dad because this was, she found out later on in his life that he also worked at a, a dude ranch uh, in Nevada. And I love that connection. I thought that was very neat too. And actually my interview with her is airing in the next couple of weeks. I really enjoyed talking with her and she is just a hoot. She is. She is. I agree. Good choice. All right, my next book is The Unwilling by John Hart. Now, I am a John Hart super fan. He is kind of an indie darling, reminds me a little bit of Grisham in the in the early years, and I have loved every book of his but one. I will say I I was not a big fan of The Hush, which is um I guess maybe his last book, but this one is back to classic John Hart. 
He is a Southern author who writes very gritty mysteries. And this one is set during the kind of the waning years of the Vietnam War in North Carolina. And there are three brothers in the story. There is the youngest who is 18 years old, and his name is Gibby. And he has twin brothers who were in Vietnam. One of them was the the darling child, and he was killed in Vietnam. And the other son is Jason, and he has physical and emotional scars from the war and winds up in prison. And once when he finally gets out of prison, he comes home and his mother is very concerned that Jason is going to influence her darling Gibby. I mean, she's lost her her favorite child and doesn't want Gibby to go in the path of Jason. Well, as soon as Jason gets home, a woman winds up murdered who is close to Jason. And so, of course, all eyes point to Jason as the murderer, and he he leaves the scene, and Gibby tries to clear his name. So there there is a, a serial killer in this book that is very scary, and I just was captivated from the very beginning. I would characterize this book as John Grisham meets Hannibal Lecter. So it is a little grim. It is grim, but I loved it. That is The Unwilling by John Hart. Well, I always hear the very best things about his books. And when I worked at Murder by the Book, we sold his books like crazy. But I've never read one. I need to try one at some point. Yeah, he's, he is a very special writer. Well, my next one is Shiver by Allie Reynolds. And it takes place in the French Alps. And it toggles back and forth 10 years apart. In the present day story, when it opens, a group of five friends are headed up to a chalet for what they think is a reunion. They all have been invited, they think, by one person. So they're all heading up there, super excited to see each other again. It's been a decade. Um, When they separated a decade before, one of their group had gone missing and is presumed dead, and no one has heard from her since then. So they get up to the chalet in present day, and they realize they've been set up. There's no one there but the five of them. Everything is super creepy. And there's clearly someone there, but they don't know where and how. And as it unfolds, they lose their phones, the power goes out, there's all sorts of stalking, haunting, I don't know what you want to call it. And so they're trying to get to the bottom of what happened. And so they slowly begin to discuss the 10 years before and their relationships and who knew what and exactly what had happened. And I just felt like it was so good. And I don't know, this, they're snowboarders. I forgot to say that. They were snowboarders who were competing in all these competitions, and that's how they knew each other. So I've seen a couple of comments saying that they spent a lot of time on the snowboarding, but I didn't feel that way at all. And I don't know much about snowboarding. I thought it was just the perfect amount, and it had a good amount of tension, and the result was really clever and not out of left field. So I thought it was a great read, and I loved it. And that cover is just amazing. So that Shiver by Allie Reynolds. I have not read that book. I've seen it, but I have not read it. But that sounds really good. It is. All right. My next book is Landslide by Susan Conley. I think I picked this book up because I love the the song Landslide. And um, I've just kind of seen a little bit on Bookstagram of people really relating to this book. So I thought, well, I'll just pick it up and see what, what all the fuss is about. And I loved this book. Now, I think I would highly recommend this book to mothers of teenage boys or mothers who are about to have teenage boys or ones who are out of that stage, because this this one, you're going to feel so seen reading this book. So the mother is Jill, and she calls her teenage boys the wolves, which <laughs> is so appropriate. Again, my, my boys are in college now, but they were in the wolf stage, not that very long ago. So Jill is married to a man who is a fisherman in Maine. This book is set in Maine and he has a terrible accident where he's actually in a hospital in Canada. So Jill is trying to juggle raising her boys, trying to figure out when she can go see her husband and trying to work. And is she being too easy on one of her boys and not hard enough. And so we these are things that mothers of boys are constantly wrestling with. And um, it reminded me of an Anna Quinlan novel. But it's, it's interesting. I have a friend I trust who read it and really didn't relate to it. 
And I said, do you, do you have boys? And she said, no, I raise girls. I'm like, well, that's the problem. If you are raising boys, I think this one, this book is, is perfect for mothers of boys. And that is Landslide by Susan Conley. I feel like I have seen that one on Instagram a lot, but I haven't read it. I loved it. Was not expecting to love it as much as I did. Those are the best reads, I think. Agreed. My next one is The Three Mothers by Anna Malika Tubbs. It's nonfiction, and it involves the story of the three mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin. So Anna actually started this project as part of her PhD, and so it was her thesis, and she was writing about it, and then she realized that it was a much larger story and sold it as a book. So it is absolutely fascinating. No one has done a deep dive into any of these women before. And the way she links them together, because apparently, obviously, always you see MLK Jr. and Malcolm X sort of linked or talked about in comparison, but you don't often see James Baldwin thrown in there. But in recent times, he is being linked more with them as sort of the scribe for what was happening during that time period, because he wrote such beautiful stories. So their mothers were all born within five years of each other. And what I found the most striking as a mother myself was that each focus of the mother, like what her beliefs, sort of how she raised her son, turned into what they ended up doing. So like Martin Luther King Jr., they were very, you know, turned the other cheek, peace, you know, he was raised in the church, but in a very nonviolent manner and like nonviolent beliefs. And that then becomes what he is out there preaching. Malcolm X, his parents were much more left-leaning and radical, and so then he ends up going that path a little bit more. And she was institutionalized for a long time, which I also didn't realize, and there were only two photos of her that exist. So when she was trying to get the photos for the cover, they had to just dig and dig and dig, and finally they found just two. And I thought, can you imagine somebody that lives all that time and is the mother of such a famous person, and there's only two photos? And then Burtis Baldwin was a big writer and also preached peace and preached getting the story out there and how important it was to be educated and to stand up for what you believe. I just found that absolutely amazing, the way she was able to tie all of it together. And it's a quick read, and I loved it. And that's The Three Mothers by Anna Malika Tubbs. I ordered that one for the store because it looked fascinating. I need to pick it up. As a mother, you sometimes wonder, like, am I leaving you know, I hope I'm leaving an imprint on my children and teaching them right from wrong or whatever your beliefs are. And so just to be able to track it so much, I thought was kind of fascinating, encouraging, interesting. And the fact that these women's stories hadn't been told was sort of mind boggling. Right. And we sell a lot of James Baldwin books. He really is um, kind of a, a popular posthumous author these days. Definitely. All right. My next one is The Nature of Fragile Things by Susan Meisner. And I know that you have interviewed her in the past. And I talked about this on, I think, my first episode with you that aired in April or May. But Susan Meisner is probably my favorite historical fiction author. I read all of her books. She always finds unique times in history to write about. And this one is about the 19, or occurs during the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco. The main character is Sophie Whalen, who is an Irish immigrant living in. New York City, she's ready for a change. And she answers an ad by a man named Martin who wants to have a wife and a mother for his daughter, Kat. Martin's wife has died. So Sophie goes all the way across the country. And as soon as she gets to San Francisco, she realizes quickly something is terribly wrong with Martin. He is not what he seems to be. I love the relationship with with Sophie and her stepdaughter, Kat. And of course, as soon as they start to bond, the earthquake occurs. It's a beautiful story of friendship, of relationships, and of course, a little bit of disaster, which I always enjoy. And that is The Nature of Fragile Things by Susan Meisner. So my next one is The Invisible Woman by Erica Roebuck. And that tells the story, historical fiction story, of Virginia Hall, who was American, but fought for the French resistance during World War II. Erica focuses on one of her missions in France and how she helped the resistance and everything she was able to accomplish. And the most interesting thing to me about Virginia Hall was that she had a prosthetic leg. So she crosses the Pyrenees with this leg. She is all over France for the resistance. 
And a lot of times people know that she's limping, but they don't even realize that she has a prosthetic leg. And she always was dressed as an older woman. So she had this very elaborate disguise as an older woman. And people could never believe that when they would meet her, these French resistance men would be so appalled because they're like, this old woman is working with us. But I just was amazed by her bravery and the things that she accomplished. And then she came back to Maryland and lived out the rest of her life with a man that she actually met when she was in France. And then she did not have children, but she has a niece. And Erica spoke with the niece at length, and the niece had known Virginia very well. And that really gave her a lot of insight into Virginia's life and why she was the way she was and what motivated her to leave the U.S. and go fight on behalf of the French. And it was just a page turner. I loved it. And that is The Invisible Woman by Erica Roebuck. Well, my next one, now we're moving from February to March. This came out the first week of March. And if you have uh, ever come into my store or ever heard me speak, you will know that my one of my favorite books of the year was We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. Now, I, at this point, have two books that are tied for my favorite book of the year, and nothing has knocked them off the pedestal in months. So this is the first one. And our main character is the outlaw, Duchess Day Radley. She is a 13-year-old self-proclaimed outlaw and maybe my favorite character in literature. She is fiercely protective of her five-year-old brother, Robin, and really more of a parent to her mother, Star, who is a single mom, but she can't take care of herself. She's addicted to drugs and alcohol. Uh, And there's another character named Walk, and he is a police officer in the same town in a neighbor to the outlaw Duchess Day Radley. And Walk actually grew up with Duchess's mother star and a terrible accident that happens in the very beginning of the the book uh, kind of just changes all of their lives. And that's actually where the the we begin at the end starts. The, The beginning of the book, something terrible happens and really kind of ends the life of one person and completely alters the lives of Walk and Star. And I I loved it. It kind of read like a Western. I got to speak to Chris Whitaker recently, and he actually had a traumatic event happen in his life. And the therapist told him, you need to write about what happened to you, but maybe change the character. So he uh, envisioned what happened to him and, and put that on Duchess Day Radley. So I, I asked him, how in the world can this man from England write a bratty 13-year-old from California so well. And that's what he said. So this book is near perfection to me. I will love it forever. It's on my lifetime favorites uh, list, and I cannot recommend it more highly. So this is We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. I have got to get to that book this summer. So many people whose opinions I trust, who I generally line up with, have recommended it. And I just need to set aside some of these others and pick it up because I just hear such great things about it. Yeah, the only thing I have heard is people will say his writing style, especially at the beginning, is maybe some incomplete sentences. And I asked him about that when when we talked. He said, well, he started writing this book when he was a teenager. And so he that was kind of how he wrote back then. And uh, just, But just stick with it, and you will not be disappointed. You know, I always find it really helpful to know that when a book starts a little differently, and you're thinking, is the whole book going to be like this? You know, and sometimes you can get used to it and sometimes you can't. So that's helpful to know that it may start a little differently and just to plug ahead. You've got to read it. I'm going to, I, I practically insist. You're just going to keep pestering me every day. Have you read it? Have you read it? <laughs> <laughs> so my next one is The Barbizon, The Hotel That Set Women Free by Paulina Bren. And I think it came out in March too. You're doing a better job of knowing exactly when your books came out. I, I know the later ones, but these earlier ones, I'm pretty sure that one came out in March. And I love New York City in non-pandemic times, go up there several times a year. I love all the different buildings. I love touring the museums and seeing Broadway shows. And so the second that I saw this book, I knew I needed to read it. And I had encountered it in Fiona Davis's book, The Dollhouse, too. Her first book takes place at the Barbizon. But so many famous people lived there. And the whole premise of the book is that starting, I think it was like in the 1920s, uh, when women were able to move by themselves to some of these cities and work on their own, but their parents didn't want them living alone in a home or like a small place with a landlady they didn't know. So these kind of hotels for women opened and the Barbizon is the most famous and iconic of them. 
and probably stayed open longer than a lot of them did. And in fact, the magazine, Mademoiselle, had an internship program. And every summer, they would hire 14 to 15 women to come intern for them. And they all lived at the Barbizon. They had this kind of partnership with the Barbizon. And the women would live there and I think even meet in some of the meeting rooms. And so it was just fascinating to learn that because I was not aware of that. And Grace Kelly lived there at one point, Sylvia Plath, who wrote The Bell Jar, which is about her time at the Barbizon. So I just thought it was so interesting to hear all of these individual women's stories who spent time at the Barbizon. But she also, in the midst of that, weaves in history, a lot of women's history, and what was happening sort of in the outside world, and particularly in New York City, and how that kind of factored into the women that were staying at the Barbizon. And she has all these fantastic photos of the various famous women who were there and different things she's talking about, some of the meeting rooms. I absolutely loved it. I read it, I think, actually in last year, you know, as a galley, but it has stayed on on my list and it's pretty high up there. And that's The Barbizon, The Hotel That Set Women Free by Paulina Bren. All right. My next one, now we're moving into April releases. This is The Drowning Kind by Jennifer McMahon. I loved this book. I couldn't put it down. It is terrifying and mysterious and thrilling and a little bit of historical fiction in it as well. It's told in dual timelines. But this one is, there are ghosts in the story, paranoia, dark waters, and creepy home. There's nervous townspeople and three generations of women who are drawn to this pool, like a spring at a hotel in New Hampshire. And at the beginning of the story, our main character, there's twins. One of them is kind of living her life far away and starts getting nonstop calls from her sister who is losing her grip on reality. And um, so her sister did not answer the phone calls. Well, the next morning she finds out that her sister has been drowned in this pool. So she goes back to her ancestral home in New New Hampshire and tries to figure out what was going on with the pool. So we've got that timeline and then their great-grandmother, uh, or maybe it was her grandmother, um, in the 1920s or 30s who also had a relationship with this pool. And the pool is supposed to be magical. There's, there's a, a magical quality where if you are in the water or drink the water, anything you want to happen will come true. But usually the the pool wants something in return. So it was terrifying and I couldn't put it down. And I, I love that kind of book. So that's The Drowning Kind by Jennifer McMahon. Another one that I remember we talked about because you loved it and I need to try to read it at some point also. It's a good one, but maybe you don't want to do it if you're about to go swimming in a pool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before I'm going to bed. Sometimes some of those are a little creepy. So my next one was also an April release, The End of Men by Christina Sweeney Baird. And this is about a pandemic. She wrote the story pre-COVID, takes place in 2025. Her pandemic was more as a way to talk about gender imbalances and what would happen if 90% of the world's men disappeared. But with COVID appearing, it ended up being so fascinating to read because she really was very smart in the way she predicted some things like the supply chain and people not believing it was happening and how quick it unfolded, the vaccine process. So all of that was fascinating. But on top of it, the gender imbalance was one of those things that I still think about it all the time. One of the points she makes is that most electricians are men. So if you have 90% of the world's men dying, you only have a fraction of the electricians left. But that's something that people need on a regular basis and pretty urgently. So how do you quickly get all of these women trained and who trains them and, and how long are they going to have to work to be able to meet all the demands and you know the garbage men? You can't just leave garbage piled everywhere. And then what happens when new boys are born? She's five women, but the main story unfolds in Scotland. And they end up creating this kind of place that all the little boys have to live with just a few people keeping up with them so that they don't get sick because there's no cure and it comes on so rapidly. And just the way that she unfolded the story and the things that she thought through and how it all came about, it was just truly one of those reads that I think will stay with me forever. I just absolutely loved it. And that's The End of Men by Christina Sweeney Baird. Okay, that sounds really, really good. I think I'm going to have to pick that one up. It is so good. 
And it's just so thought provoking, you know, because having just lived through a pandemic, there's all of that. But then there's also like you have two boys and a girl. And so, you know, I have one boy and two girls. And so that the moms of girls were faring so much better than the moms of boys and the links that some of the moms would go to and just all these things that you really don't think about on a regular basis. She really kind of brought them to fruition and and it all played out very well. I, I just thought it was an amazing book. Right. I think I think you've convinced me on that one. I'm going to pick it up. All right. My next one, uh, we're now moving into April. And again, with We Begin at the End, my tie for favorite book is When the Stars Go Dark by Paula McLean. And I dearly, dearly loved this book. Paula McLean typically writes historical fiction, but had put in the beginning of her book that she always wanted to write a, a mystery thriller. And this was her first attempt at it. And I love it maybe even more than her historical fiction that she's written in the past. This book has beautiful, I mean, Paula McLean writes poetry, in, in my opinion. I love the way she describes nature. Uh, her main character was a foster child. And so was Paula McLean, who grew up in the foster care system. And um, so she writes about that so beautifully. The the main character, Anna, is uh, a cop and she investigates missing children issues. And there's a, a true, there's a little true crime part of this book as well. This takes place kind of paralleling the poly class true crime drama that happened in the early 1990s. So poly class disappears in Northern California. And at the same time, this fictional little girl disappears. So Anna is is trying to find her. And I read this book in a day. I think about it constantly. Paula McLean talks openly about being a foster child and being a victim of sexual violence as a child. She writes about it in this book, and you can just tell this is something that she actually is very familiar with. So I get to interview her for our fabled book club in July, and I can hardly wait. And that is When the Stars Go Dark by Paula McLean. So I picked that book up because of you. When we talked at one point, you recommended it to me. And I had been a little worried it was going to be too dark for me from just what I'd read and what you're saying I had read about the violence. And so I was really concerned it was going to be too dark for me. And I loved it. I actually almost put it on my list as my 13th. But I figured it was on your list. And so I could just chime in and say, yes, that one was really, really good too. And I loved the polyclass part of it and the fact that, you know, the comparing and contrasting of the disappearances. I, I just thought it was very, very well done. Okay. I haven't heard that you, I knew you were going to read it, but I didn't know that you loved it. And that makes me so happy to hear that. So it sounds like that means I've never posted. I've sometimes those slip through the cracks. So now I know something else I can post about. No, I, I thought it was fantastic. I really did love it. And it was all because of you. Wonderful. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So my next one is Tokyo Ever After by Emiko Jean. Now, this is a YA book, and I don't ever read YA. But someone had recommended this to me and swore that I was going to love it. So I tried it, and I absolutely loved it. I just think it is such a great story. It takes place in California when it opens. And Izumi uh, lives with her single mom and she has three best friends. So it's this group of four and they're in high school. And I think that she does the best job of portraying the relationships with these girls and how they interact with each other. Early on in the story, Izumi finds out that in fact, her father is the crown prince of Japan. So she heads over to Japan, to Tokyo, to meet him and to visit. She's a very strong personality, but in a great way. And so that doesn't really jive with the way the Tokyo royalty normally is. So they have all these very strict requirements about what she should be doing and how she should be behaving. And she doesn't know some of it, but also some of it she just doesn't believe in. So she just kind of goes her own way. And then she also ends up in this relationship or kind of this romance with her bodyguard. So I just thought it was fantastic. It was such a sweet story. I love the characters. I learned so much about Japan. And the other part that I loved was that Emiko does a really great job of helping the reader see the story through Izumi's eyes and what it's like when she lives in California. She feels like she stands out a lot from her friends and other people in the town that she lives in in California and that she has been the victim of racism and things like that. So when she goes over to Japan, it's the first time that where she's the majority and everyone around looks like her. And 
I just thought Emiko did a really great job of bringing all of that to life and what it would feel like to have felt like you were on the outside all this time and suddenly now, you know, you're part of the majority and what that was like. And then also just the fairy tale aspects of it. I'm not even a fairy tale person, which is what is so funny, but just the idea that suddenly you're a princess and stepping into this life. And I just, I loved all the Japanese aspects of it. She goes to Kyoto for a little bit and she brought that city to life. And it was just a really sweet, fun story that kept me reading until I finished it. And that is Tokyo Ever After by Emi Koji. Yeah, there's not very many downsides to being a book buyer at our store, but one of them is I don't have time to read YA books. That is our children's book buyer reads those. So I only have time to read adult books, which sounds way more scandalous than it actually is. I know. When I, the <laughs> first time we talked about this, when I said, you're the adult book buyer, it makes it sound like you said a lot more scandalous than it really is. Yes. The, the funny story with that is when I was a child, I was looking for a book. And I, of course, back then I looked through the yellow pages and I found um, an adult bookstore. So I called <laughs> the adult bookstore and they and I asked them about you know, a certain book and they said, well, ma'am, this is an adult bookstore. And I said, well, I know, but I have a very high reading level. But it's so funny because in the book world, you get it. But if you say it outside of that, it makes it sound like you're selling porn. I know. I'm not. I promise. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my next book is What Comes After by Joanne Tompkins. I heard about this book initially by my random house rep, and it sounded really, really good. So I picked it up, and I think it was a book of the month club pick. But this is, I, I believe, a debut novel by Joanne Tompkins, who was actually a CPS lawyer, I believe, or maybe a mediator. Anyway, it is set in the Pacific Northwest. The literary writing is beautiful. I love how she writes. I can't wait to read her again. But the beginning of the book starts off with the murder-suicide of two teenage boys that rips apart this community. Um, after the families are grappling with the deaths of these boys, a mystery pregnant teenager shows up at the door of one of the dead boys' father. And I love this father. He's a Quaker. He's really grappling with his faith after the death of his child. And of course, we naturally assume that one of these boys is probably the father of this girl's baby. So there's major themes of grief and hope and forgiveness, not to mention maybe the best dog I have ever read about. It makes me want to buy or to own a dog myself. I don't have a dog, but Rufus and what comes after makes me want one very badly. <laughs> the book is a little long, I will say, but I really, really loved it and can't recommend it more highly. That is What Comes After by Joanne Tompkins. I think it was a book of the month pick because I really hadn't heard about it until it was a book of the month pick. And then, of course, you start seeing it everywhere. Exactly. That's what happens. So four of the next five of mine are ones that we talked about in the favorite summer 2021 picks episode. So I will talk a little bit about them, but I won't go into the deep dive discussion that we did before because people can go back and kind of listen to the lengthier discussion then. But my first one is House of Sticks by Lee Tran. And it's a memoir and her family moved to the United States as part of a relocation program from Vietnam when Lee was three. They are resettled in an apartment in Queens. And so they go from this tiny town in Vietnam to this, you know, urban city, everything's concrete, they speak no English. And it just has to do with what it was like to immigrate to the United States. But also her father spent 10 years in a Vietnamese prisoner of war camp. And so he has severe PTSD. So on top of just the immigrant experience, it also is what it was like growing up with her father. He wouldn't let her get eyeglasses for almost a decade. She couldn't see, but he was worried it was a government, you know, spy ring or something that would infiltrate their lives if she had glasses. And so he just wasn't really well some of the time. It was just all the way around beautiful story. She really overcomes a lot. I run an online book club as part of my literary salon, and it was actually our June pick, and everybody loved it and felt like it was a very eye-opening story. But I just think it's well worth a read and maybe help people understand a little bit more what it's like to come to the United States, because this was in 1993 when they came over, so it wasn't that long ago, and just what it's like to try to live in a new country, especially when you don't speak the language. And that's House of Sticks by Lee Tran. All right, my next one is Empire of Pain by Patrick Radden Keefe. 
I read his book, Say Nothing. It was one of my favorite books of 2019 about the troubles in Ireland. I really love the way he investigates and writes fascinating nonfiction stories. So this book is a cross between Bad Blood, Dope Sick, and maybe an episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And the story centers around the Sackler family, who are one of the wealthiest and most influential in the art world families that you have never heard about. I've never heard of the Sacklers before. But we find out, so this book kind of starts off with these Austrian immigrant poor children in the 1930s and how they initially make their money. And one of them, Arthur Sackler, is the patriarch. And he really um, came into his own. He was a doctor, but he made his money marketing drugs. So he helped market uh, Librium and Valium to the public. So he eventually makes just so much money and donates a lot of it to art museums. There's a wing, the Sackler Wing in the Met in New York City, in the Smithsonian. He donated millions of dollars to Columbia University, where he never went, but always wanted to. And then eventually he dies and the, the next generations of the Sacklers take over. And then they, their wealth went from ridiculously obscene to more ridiculously obscene when they marketed and manufactured OxyContin. So we find out it's very interesting on how the drug came into existence and the way they marketed it in a way that made it a lot more positive than it actually was. And doctors and different pharmaceutical reps would get these free vacations all over the the world if they sold a bunch of OxyContin, which is obviously uh, to the detriment of millions and millions of people around the world. So anyway, I was fascinated by the story. Um, I actually listened to this one and my daughter was listening to it too. And she, she doesn't really like audible books. She was being very kind to me. And I was like, well, we can listen to music now. She said, no, no, no. I want to hear more about the story. So it was a fascinating look at a family that you never knew existed. And that is Empire of Pain by Patrick Radden Keefe. I am dying to read that one. I actually am familiar with the Sacklers from just a variety of things. But then also I listened to Eric Ayer's Death in Mudlick, which is about the opioid explosion in West Virginia and how much it impacted their lives and you know what happened in the marketing. And they touch on that family in that book too. It's not not as much as obviously this one would, but I am dying to listen to that one. It is actually up next for me on my audiobooks. Yes, you'll, you will be shocked and awed, and um, I loved it. Well, I keep hearing that. Uh, my next one is Americanon, an unexpected U.S. history in 13 best-selling books, and it is nonfiction by Jess McHugh. It just came out in June, and she decided to look at 13 they're all nonfiction and they're mainly guidebooks like the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, the Old Farmer's Almanac, Emily Post uh, Manners book, the McGuffey Readers, Betty Crocker's cookbook. So a variety of these books that have influenced the United States, but they're not like, you know, the 10 best novels or, you know, books you normally think about as having impacted literature or the country generally. And the dictionary, uh, Nathaniel Webster and Hibbs creating the first the speller and then the dictionary. So she kind of chronicles each one of these books and how they impacted the United States. And it sounds like it would be kind of dry, I think, actually, initially, but it is not at all. She does do a deep dive, so there's a lot of detail, but I thought it was fascinating. I loved it. The New York Times just did a really great review on it, and it's got this really clever cover. And she talks about how you don't think of, I mean, I'd never even heard of the McGuffey readers. And it was one man who made these readers and then they ended up being read by something like 300 million people. And so it's just sort of the things that you wouldn't think would be influencing the country actually were and set some of our early kind of beliefs and just different things like that. I, I thought it was really, really well done. It's long, but it's very interesting. And that is Americanon, an unexpected U.S. history in 13 best-selling books by Jess McHugh. That sounds really good. It is. All right. So my next, my last four are ones that we also touched on, that I touched on, on our summer reading preview, but I will quickly go through those and I, I stand by how much I love them. The first one is, this one came out in early May. That is The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. 
I love Laura Dave's work. I loved her book, 800 Grapes, about the wine industry in California. Uh, but this one is set in Austin, Texas. Now, it, it is billed as a thriller. I'm not sure it really lives up to a thriller. It's more just a, an interesting, um, maybe a little mystery, a little bit of cat and mouse. It starts off in Sausalito with Hannah. She's our main character. Uh, Hannah marries later in life to Owen. And um, one day, Owen disappears. And he manages to get a note to Hannah that says, protect her. She knew immediately that this is to protect his daughter, who is her stepdaughter. And the story winds up in Austin, Texas, which was fun for we Texans who rarely get to see a book or read a book that is set in Austin. And I loved it. I loved the stepmother, stepdaughter relationship. And um, most of my friends who are not readers, big time readers, who've asked me to recommend a book for them for the summer, this is the book I'm recommending to them. It's an easy read and very enjoyable. And I think that now it is going to be a movie. This wound up being, I think this was a Reese pick and maybe a book of the month club pick. And Julia Roberts is going to play Hannah in the either a movie or television show. And I just loved it. It was just pure fun, easy read, a great summer pick. That is The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. It's funny how many of these books are being made into some kind of screen adaptation. I agree. It happens constantly. I don't know. Reese maybe started a trend where she reads books and immediately picks, picks up the ones that are especially female leads. And this one is a classic one for her to pick up. So my next one is Songs in Ursa Major by Emma Brody which is definitely my favorite read of the year so far. I just absolutely loved it. I've been telling every single person I know to read it. It is loosely based on the relationship between James Taylor and Joni Mitchell. And she wrote the lyrics in the book, which I didn't realize, and her brother has written the music to go with them. And so I think on Pub Day, which was this week, they were supposed to release one of the songs to go along with the trailer. So I still need to actually track that down to Wallflowers, the song. But I just loved it. I love that era of music. I did not know that Joni Mitchell and James Taylor had had a relationship. And that's just kind of the basis of the book. Then she takes her story in a completely different direction. But she kind of bases the relationship on the two of them. And I just thought it was a fascinating glimpse into what it would have been like to be a female musician then and how much more leeway the male musicians had. And Jane, who is the lead character, really wants to pave her own way and do her own thing and doesn't want to be seen as riding on someone else's coattails. But she just constantly encounters sexism and, you know, people trying to mold her into something she doesn't want to be. She has some family secrets of her own. And I just devoured this book. I loved it. I loved talking to Emma about it. My episode just aired this week. And like I said, I have just been telling everyone I know to read it. I talk in further detail about it on our last episode, but all I'll say is go read it. That is Songs in Ursa Major by Emma Brody. I just listened to your podcast uh, when you interviewed the author, and I loved it even more. I, I loved this one. This was part of our fabled summer reading preview, and I second everything you said about it. It's a beautiful book. So my next book is my second nonfiction, and that is The Ride of Her Life by Elizabeth Letts. And this is the true story of a woman named Annie Wilkins, who in the 1950s uh, is a 63-year-old farmer from Maine. She's kind of a, we Texans would say she was road hard and put up wet. <laughs> and um, she is battling pneumonia and it was so severe that she was given two years to live, but only if she really took it easy. But she wanted to go out with a bang and always wanted to see the coast of California. So she bought a an old horse named Tarzan and set out from Maine with her little dog Depeche Trois and journeyed more than 4,000 miles from Maine to California to live out her dream. And she met some fascinating people along the way. She kind of became semi-famous. Everyone was hoping she'd come to their town. And of course, she did this without maps and without, without phones or, or any type of weather casting. So um, I loved the story of 1950s Americana, the kindness of strangers, the American spirit. And I, I just dearly, dearly loved this book. So this is The Ride of Her Life by Elizabeth Letts. It's sitting on my bedside table because you recommended it last time. And I just haven't been able to read as much lately as I want with everybody home and 
summer being busier than I was anticipating, but is high on my list. And you heard from the author after last time, right? Yes. After our episode aired with our summer reading preview, I guess the author heard that I talked about her book and how much I loved Curmudgeon. So she very kindly sent me a book and said to all the curmudgeons, including Annie, and that was so kind. She actually sent me some 1950s candy and said that she had some a little bit of a pre-publication jitters and me loving her book kind of gave her a little bit of, of peace. So I loved that. I love uh, reading good books, but especially by very kind authors. So I I loved I loved her book Finding Dorothy that came out several years ago. It was one of my favorites. So I can hardly wait for her next book. I love Elizabeth Letts. I just thought that was so cool when you texted me that she had sent that to you. I was like, how nice. Very, very kind. So my next one is Hostage by Clara McIntosh, another book that I loved and we talked about last episode. But I will just say Hostage, Plane Flight, and Lots of Drama. So I just thought it was wonderful. I was just very quickly turning the pages. I actually don't want to mention it because I don't want to ruin the story. But I thought the resolution was amazing. And then the ending is just phenomenal. Like you think you've reached the end and then there's still kind of one more end. And when I spoke with her for the podcast, she was telling me that she actually went in a did a flight simulation and landed the type of plane, the the 777 that would be the plane that would be flying from London to Sydney. And she crashed it. And I thought that was so funny. But so she said, I I did all of that so I would be able to talk about just what it would be like when the plane was going down. And so I just love that book. I think it's the thriller of the summer. I've seen so many people say that, and I just thought it was a fabulous story. And that is Hostage by Clara McIntosh. Maybe don't read it if you're traveling by plane this summer, but other than that, I highly recommend it. Well, and you know I read this on a plane. That's right. Which was really fun. (laughs) I love Clara McIntosh. She has written some wonderful mysteries. and. A book that will probably be on my second half of the year favorites is Falling, which is another terrorism on a plane book. So that is kind of the theme of the summer. And I think that anyone should pick up Hostage and read that and then pick up Falling and compare and contrast. I think that would be a fun little summer exercise. But we will talk about that at the end of 2021 because that'll be my second half list. Exactly. My next one is Seven Days in June, which came out in June and uh, by Tia Williams. And this one is a book that I typically would not pick up. It's sort of a steamy romance, and that is not my jam normally. But I really, really loved this book. So our main characters are Eva and Shane, and they fallen in love as teenagers and then lost track with each other. And then when they're in their 30s, Eva is now a single mom. Uh, She writes best-selling erotica. And it's just it's hilarious kind of hearing her interacting with her fans and also dealing with migraines, which Tia Williams is also a single mother who deals with migraines. I, I loved her character and just having to, you know, be working in the publishing industry and also dealing with her her daughter and I loved her character. And Shane is more of a reclusive, award-winning, very highfalutin novelist. Uh, But Eva and Shane kind of meet up again in their 30s. And it turns out really all this time they've been writing about each other. And it's a a beautiful story. Um, This was also a Reese pick and it is highly deserved. I loved it. Again, a little. It, there's a little bit of steam if that bothers you that is easy to thumb through quickly, but it was a wonderful read. And that is Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. So I'm to my last one. And we have not overlapped at all yet, but I'm wondering on this last one if we will. I'm impressed. I know. So my last one is The Personal Librarian by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray. Is that going to be your last one? No. Okay. We didn't overlap at all. How funny is that? <laughs> So this was also one I talked about in our last episode, but I absolutely love it. It will definitely be on my top 10 or 12, whatever it's going to be for the year. Tells the story of Belle DaCosta Green, who is passing as white, and she works as the librarian for J.P. Morgan in the Morgan Library. It's prior to it being the Morgan Library. It's the Morgan Collection. And I loved her story. 
the two women write together. Marie Benedict is white and Victoria Christopher Murray is black. And they have these fabulous letters at the beginning of the book about what it was like when they first decided to write together and then what they learned from each other and what a wonderful relationship they have developed with each other, a friendship. And I just thought it's definitely a book lover's book. There's so much about historical manuscripts and famous books, and she's tracking them down for J.P. Morgan. And then also just what it was like to pass as white, considering her father had been the first black man to graduate from Harvard. So she just was dealing with a lot and she maintained it for her whole life and supported her family for a while and clearly something that wouldn't be able to happen in today's world. But she was very, very successful. And I just thought it was it was written from her perspective in a diary entry format, which I always love. And I just highly, highly recommend that one. It's The Personal Librarian by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray. Well, I really, really loved that book too. And I found myself Googling the entire time because it was there Me was too. so much information that I really was not familiar with, including that J.P. Morgan had that condition where his nose had that scar tissue on his nose. We never like to be photographed. And um, a lot of people associate that with alcoholism, which sometimes that happens, but it doesn't always. So there's a, kind of an added shame to it. And so, yeah, that, that book took me a long time to read because I spent a lot of my time on the internet while I was reading it. It was really, really good. I was the same way. I looked up so much stuff and learned so many words. There's like in- Incubalum or something, a, a book that was published prior to 1501. And I just, I did, I learned a ton and I just thought it was a very timely and interesting subject matter. I agree. All right. Last one. Drum roll, please. It is. <laughs> I was doing the drum roll. <laughs> All right. This is Haven Point by Virginia Hume. And I picked this one up because it had a pretty cover and I do judge books by their cover. I feel no shame in saying that. This is a debut novel. And um, Virginia's father is Britt Hume, who was a former ABC White House correspondent. He also worked for Fox News. You look him up, you will recognize him. But this book takes place on the rocky main coast in a little summer home haven. And it starts off in the right around World War II. uh, And there are three generations of women in this story. The first one is Marin. She is this beautiful uh, nurse from Minnesota, and she winds up at Walter Reed Hospital during the war. And there she meets this dashing, beautiful man who is a doctor. And so he falls madly in love with her, marries her and brings her home to Haven Point. And of course, all the, the little women in Haven Point were jealous. They all loved the man that she married. So she's kind of met with jealousy, with a lot of classism, but also she finds these wonderful friends. And I I loved Marin's story. So we skip ahead to 50 years later to Skye, who is Marin's granddaughter. And she's kind of dealing with her own life issues. And her mother, who is Marin's daughter, has just died. So Skye comes home to Haven Point and you find out kind of during the Vietnam War, there's a tragedy that occurs that kind of changes the the life of Skye's mother. And um, so I, I loved this. There's a lot of, there's a little bit of romance. There's some American history, an exploration to belonging and family drama. And I love how all of these women are drawn to and repelled by this home in Haven Point. And I, I just loved it. I love championing a debut novelist. And this is one that I can be behind 100%. It is a great uh, summer read, but I don't think it's even just summer. It's, it's all year round. So that is Haven Point by Virginia Hume. When you recommended that on the last episode, I remember seeing several people post afterwards saying they had picked it up on your recommendation or that they had read it and loved it based on our last episode. So that's another one that I need to add to my list. My list is just getting longer instead of shorter. Well, I wouldn't be doing my job if that weren't the case. (laughs) So very true. Well, Elizabeth, thank you. This was so much fun. And I truly can't believe we did not overlap on one single book. Now I'm going to be so curious by the end of the year. Well, I have to read We Begin at the End, but I'll be curious to see by the end of the year if we overlap any or not. I know. I'm very impressed that we didn't overlap, but some of them I knew that you were going to pick and I think you felt the same way about me. So we may have cheated a little bit. (laughs) Oh, that's true. No, that's probably true. 
Next time, I think we've talked about doing a fall preview, some that we've read, some that we're looking forward to. So everybody can look forward to that episode dropping in August. Wonderful. I love talking books with you today, Cindy. I love talking books with you too. Thanks as always, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider becoming a page turner in my Patreon program. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast, and I hope you'll tune in next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.